Happy to see all your faces this morning. Um, I mean, and the rest of you too, but your faces <laughs> are the things I'm going to be looking at. Um, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to be with you. Um, I am, I don't know if you noticed a theme in the, in the songs this morning, um, uh, but I, I did, and specifically, um, this theme gets me, uh, gets me in my feelings, as the youngsters say today, um, because, because it really is a theme that every gathering of the people of God uh, should be met with, and that is our inability, our helplessness, our need for God, and His willingness, and His greatness, and His ability to fulfill that need. It is the start and it is the end of the life of every faithful believer. Our need for God and our understanding of his ability to fulfill that need. It is the start and the, begin, the beginning and the end of every believer's faith. Friends, I would love for us to be a church where our lives are modeled by our dependence on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I tell you this, I've told you this before, and I'll say it again as a side sermon and as an introductory part to uh, today. I, I can speak all day on the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Word of God, and you would amen all day long. As a matter of fact, I feel like I almost don't even need to talk about it with this group because this group gets it. But when we talk about sufficiency, when we talk about our trust, when we talk about putting action behind what the Bible says, I'm not convinced that we're quite there. And trusting in God, being being a person who trusts in the sufficiency of the Word of God and sufficiency of God Himself starts by humbling ourselves to know that we are still, even though we are a new creation, even though we are moving in an upward tra- trajectory towards the Lord, even though we are saved by grace through faith, it is this constant understanding that we are needy people. And that need can only be fulfilled through Christ Jesus, our Lord, by the calling of God and in the power of the Spirit of God. This week, we're going to be back in Romans. I might say that, I'll say that for you a hundred more times. (laughs) We're going to be back in Romans. Romans 1, verses 18, verses, excuse me, verses 8 through 16 Uh, the first part of verse 16. We're going to be in this section for this week and next week. Um, I didn't know, I thought that's how it would go, but as I started preparing, I didn't know that that's how it would go for sure until 
I just kept writing and writing and writing. And so I thought that we would still get out before the Pentecostals today and um, because they'll be, the, they'll be in until, you know, 2. They're still in the, they're, they're just getting worked up in their praise and worship service this morning. And we're going to go through our sermon and we're going to get, we're going to make the next, this third part of the sermon next week. If you remember from last week, the, the main thrust of our, ther- our sermon was serving in the spirit of the gospel. That's the title of, of this, te- of our sermon today and last week and next week, serving in the spirit of the gospel. Now listen, I believe that serving in the spirit of the gospel should be a main thrust for all who believe, but it's sort of it's sort of kind of just a statement that's out there unless we understand it. Right? Do you understand what I mean by serving in the spirit of the gospel? I think Paul kind of lays it out when he says that God that it is God whom he serves in his spirit in verse 9. It's this longing, this this push towards serving God. Serving in the spirit of the gospel is the understanding that even though there will be physical appearances of the word of God in our life, the origin of the work of God comes from deep within our spirit. Friends, I want to tell you, and you may disagree with me until you think about it, and then you'll come to my side of the, of the picture here. Every work of God is a spiritual act or it is not a work of God. Even when our work shows itself physically, even when it is an act of, of help, or assistance to a friend, even when it is something that we physically do, it was first a spiritual act or it did not come from God. It's important to know that serving in our spirit, serving in the spirit of the gospel helps us to understand that we are either internally motivated by God first or we might not be motivated by God at all. As a matter of fact, we find throughout the gospel that our salvation is not primarily or even singularly a physical act, but that it is primarily a spiritual act. We are saved from spiritual death. We fight in a spiritual battle. And our good works are not evidence of being good people. They're evidence of spiritual transformation. We are measured more by why we do than what we do. I think about it this way when it comes to sports. Have you ever, or really anything, have you ever heard someone say that that isn't within the spirit of the rule? Typically, it is when a person accomplishes something legally, but they essentially do it unethically or they skirt the rules, or maybe there's like a little flaw in the rules. I mean, this is politics 101, by the way. But it reminds me of Ellie playing softball. Ellie's first year of softball, we were all like, oh, this is fun. Everybody's just going to come out and have a good time, and, and they'll score some runs. And we played the best team in the league the first game. And the best team in the league gets up there, and they, they hit like grown men in the first place. <laughs> 
But they hit like grown men. And then when they get to first, where they should have stopped, because our girl had the ball and that would have been like the kind thing to do. No. They ran. And so they kept going. And so our poor girls, our little girls, are chugging their legs behind them, running all the way around the bases, just because no one can catch and throw at this point. And so the spirit, the loss, the law of softball said, you can keep running until somebody can get you out. But the spirit of the law is to, is to, is to keep the game fun and not have your little five-year-olds chasing other little girls around because no one can throw and catch. They, they would skirt. Now, I will tell you that now, at this point, we still teach our kids to do that. We were like, oh, okay, this is how it's going to be. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. If this is within the laws and everybody's good for it, let's go, okay? But it was not within the spirit of the game, right? And so the spirit, the spirit of the law is that we, do, we, we long and we groan from within ourselves and not just something that we, it's not just something that we physically accomplish. Yes, we can do a lot of seemingly biblical and godly things. But within the spirit of the gospel, it is, are we internally motivated? Are we externally motivated? And why, it's more about why we do the things we do and not what we do. Last week we began to lay out what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, to serve in the Spirit of the Gospel. We laid out a few things, and uh, I, won't do a, I won't do a full review because I know that my reviews end up being second sermons, so I'll just do <coughs> a quick review for those of you who weren't here. Last week we began to lay out these steps, and we're going to continue to go through these until next week. We discussed first the Spirit of Gratitude. Now, I'm not, a spirit of gratitude is not always seeing everything as rainbows and butterflies. But understanding really, like, we, like, like Blake led us to sing in this morning, our reality and our position in Christ. A spirit of gratitude looks at the way things are, even when they're the worst, and the way things could be without Christ, and think, man, I am blessed. This is why Christians, and it is an anomaly to the world. And honestly, sometimes it's an anomaly to other Christians. This is why Christians can be in the most dire situations, can be in some of the most horrible situations, and still say things like, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is because we don't see ourselves as abandoned, even if in the situation we feel alone. We, are see, we see ourselves as in Christ. We see ourselves as part of a bigger picture. And when you do that, friends, when, you, when that, is, that shapes your life, that molds your attitude and your way of thinking, the obvious result is gratitude. Gratitude. Serving in the spirit of the gospel starts with a spirit of gratitude. It starts with a, a genuine faith. A genuine faith. A belief that God who loves us, who saves us, has not left us. He has a better plan for us. He has a, a purpose for us. And then a spirit of determination. That is to go after it. If we believe, if we know, then we pursue. 
So we pursue the Lord knowing that even if we can't see him like we think we should be able to right now, he's still there. He's still working for our good. And he wants us to draw near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want to move on today and discuss a few more points. A few more characteristics of serving in the spirit of the gospel. And we will spend most of our time on this point today. And honestly, we should spend much more time than we do. If we want to serve in the spirit of the gospel, we must serve in a spirit of prayer. Serve in a spirit of prayer. Look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Ian e. Bounds said this, The first and last stages of holy living are crowned with praying. It is a life trade. We must understand something that Paul, I think, understood very clearly. Fervent, godly, spirit-filled praying in the will of the Lord. Prayer is what leads us, leads a believer to live in the spirit of service to the gospel. Spirit-filled, fervent, godly, um, excuse me, Praying in the will of Lord, in the will of the Lord. This type of prayer is what leads a believer to live a life of service in the spirit of the gospel. Here we see that Paul. He's he's at a loss. He wants to visit the churches at Rome, but he has been withheld by the Lord. He wants to encourage them, but he has not been able to do so. He wants to lift them up so that even though their connection may not be physical. They are together in the Spirit of God. But Paul also models that he isn't just praying for them at this moment. But that it is a pattern. It is a lifetime sort of thing for him. A spirit of prayer is key to serving in the Spirit of of the Gospel. (coughs) But as you may have learned, and as I have learned, a spirit of prayer does not just happen in your life. As a matter of fact, the disciples ask Jesus right before he gives them the Lord's Prayer. They say what? Do you remember? I've gone over it before. They say, teach us how to pray. A spirit of prayer is not something that just happens in your life. Friends, I've thought this for the, ma- for the majority of my life. I've thought that if I just closed my eyes and thought really hard, that, that one day a beautiful prayer life would develop out of that. And honestly, that's a part of it. Persistence is a part of it. But prayer life, a spirit of prayer, prayer that serves in the spirit of the gospel, doesn't just happen. 
It is something that is learned. It is a spiritual discipline, which means you have to beat yourself into shape, into prayer shape. So what can we take from Paul's prayer and the way Paul prayed that will help us to see how essential, how important spirit-filled prayer actually is? Or even what type of characteristics it has. The first is this. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is continual. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is continual. He says, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. What a testimony this is. Paul says, if I can't be with you, I will pray for you. If I don't have the answers I want... I will pray. If I don't have any answers, I will pray. I will pray because if I can't be with you in person, I will be with you in Christ. Often when I look at my knowledge of the Word of God and my deeds, I think of myself as somewhat a giant of the faith. And when I look at my prayer life, I think of myself as an ant. It doesn't need to be this way, though. It doesn't have to be this way, friends. Prayer is a prayer life is one of the few verifiable connections that we have with God, the God of the universe. But I would attest to you that when the saints pray with each other and for each other, it is one of the few verifiable connections that we have with each other in the spirit of Christ. <clears throat> what would it take to get us to hold on to this connection like nothing else? What would it take for us to make having a uh, or to, for us to have a prayer life that simply doesn't just say I follow the teachings of God but that I believe in the God that I follow This is what prayer does friends this is what having a fervent prayer life does it goes from saying I believe or, or I follow God to I believe in the God that I follow you know what's so wild to me? Paul longed to be with God's people. He longed to be connected to God. He didn't pray continually because he thought it would be something that would help him. He didn't pray without ceasing because uh, he prayed without ceasing, excuse me, because it was the only thing that could help him. He was so far away from the people that he longed for and loved. And at times I imagine when he was under intense persecution, when he was under intense struggle or maybe physical pain, he felt like he was far away from God. And prayer was the only thing that kept him in connection with God. And interestingly enough, friends, and connected to a point from last week, ceaseless prayer also goes a long way into developing an attitude of gratitude. For when we pray, begging the Lord, thanking the Lord, and in His will, we begin to see all things as God's. So when He pours showers of blessings, we thank the Lord. When He answers prayers in our favor, we thank the Lord. And when He withholds what seems like good, we say thank you, Lord, for knowing better than us, for having a better plan. 
I mean this with an all sincerity, friends, and it is just <clears throat> as much an indictment on my life as it is yours. Walking in the spirit of, God, of the gospel is marked just as much by our prayer life as it is our knowledge and understanding of who God is, our theology. We cannot have one without the other. A spiritual life that knows God without prayer retards the gospel. A spiritual life that prays without knowing God retards the gospel movement in our life. We cannot have one without the other. Basil of Caesarea was an early church father. And he wrote this. It's from, this is from Basil's homily of the, mar, of the martyr Julitta. Ought we pray without ceasing? Is it possible to obey such a command? These are questions which I see you are ready to ask. I will endeavor to the best of my ability to defend the charge. Prayer is a petition for good addressed by the pious to God. But we do not rigidly confine our petition to words, nor yet do we imagine that God requires to be reminded by speech. He knows our needs even though we ask Him not. What do I say then? I say that we must not think to make our prayers complete by syllables. The strength of prayer lies rather in the purpose of our soul and in deeds of virtue reaching every part and moment of our life. Whether you eat, it is said, or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As you take your seat at table, pray. As you lift the loaf, Offer thanks to the giver. When you sustain your bodily weakness with wine, remember him who supplies you with this gift to make your heart glad and to comfort your infirmity. Has your need for taking food passed away? Let not the thought of your benefactor pass away too. As you are putting on your tunic, thank the giver of it. As you wrap your cloak around yourself, Feel yet greater love to God, who alike in summer and in winter has given us coverings convenient for us at once to preserve our life and to uncover what is, or to cover what is unseemly. Is the day done? Give thanks to Him who has given us the sun for our daily work and has provided for us a fire to light up the night and to serve the rest of the needs of life. Let night give the other occasions of prayer. When you look up to heaven and gaze at the beauty of the stars, pray to the Lord of the visible world. Pray to the God, the arch artificer, the artif artificer. That's a great word. The the maker of the universe is what he was trying to say. Who is who in wisdom has made them all? When you see all nature sunk in sleep, then again worship Him who gives us, even against our wills, release from the continuous strain of toil, and by a short refreshment restores us again to the vigor of our strength. Let not night herself be all, as it were, the special and peculiar, peculiar property of sleep. Let not half your life be useless through the senselessness of slumber. Divide the time of night between sleep and prayer. Yes, let your slumbers be themselves experiences in piety. For it is only natural that our sleep, sleeping dreams 
should be for the most part echoes of the anxieties of the day, as have been our conduct and pursuits, so will inevitably be our dreams. Thus will thought prayer, excuse me, thus will thought prayer without ceasing. If thought prays not only in words, but unites itself to God through all the course of life, and so your life be made one ceaseless and interrupted, un- un- uninterrupted prayer. This prayer without ceasing is what we pursue. And by the grace of God, our life will be marked and modeled for others as a life of prayer. As a life of small utterances. As a life of mind tuned, mind tuned in to the God of the universe. This type of prayer is ceaseless. This type of prayer is also this. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is centered around the will of the Lord. It is ceaseless. It is continual, but it is centered around the will of the Lord. I have a theory, friends, as to why we don't pray like we should. I have a theory as to why prayer is not prevalent in our lives. And you need to hear this if you're struggling in your prayer life. Because when we pray, we have to give up control and results to God. In our finite minds, we convince ourselves that we have control, and that if we don't pray, somehow we have more control. But when we pray, we must humble ourselves and recognize our lack of control. We see our inability to manipulate the results. It isn't that we don't have time, that we're too lazy, or that we don't actually care, because as a matter of fact, we care a lot. It is that when we pray, we must bow our head, and we must bend our knee, and in order to do that we must leave our throne prayer in the spirit of the gospel is humbling because it is praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and not mine Paul was no pushover if you think well this is something that someone else does because they just don't know what they want in life. You don't think the apostle Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisee, the Jew of the Jews, the the bull of the church, the persecutor of Christians, you know, who he once was, that's still the same person. Remember that's his personality. The same personalities that led him to pursue being the Pharisee of the Pharisees that led led him to pursue being the lead persecutor. Paul was a bull. He was not a pushover. And yet, he surrendered all of that personality. All of that controlling type nature to the Lord. You think he was ready to take a back seat to the Lord? Paul understood that the throne that he was on was a false throne. And he had to leave that throne and he had to kneel before a holy God or else all was hopeless. Friends, the reason that we don't pray is not just because we don't have time. It's not just because we're lazy. It's because we like the throne that we sit on. And we have yet to see how desperate and needy we actually are and how out of control we are. Paul saw how out of control he was and he left his throne and he jumped to his knees with his face to the ground. The reason Paul had a ceaseless and fervent prayer life is because he 
was desperately needy and he saw the Lord as his answer. Friends, don't give me those really cheap and dumb excuses like, I just don't have time. I just don't think about it. I've tried and I can't. Here's the deal. You don't trust the Lord. We don't trust the Lord because if we did, the absolute first and most natural response would be to our knees. Don't give me your other excuses. If you want to live that way, that's fine. But here's why. You don't trust the Lord. That's it. That's it. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is centered around the will of the Lord. It's centered around trusting in the Lord. Paul said, I have tried. I have tried to get to you. I have tried to be where you are. And I have failed to this point. But I'm not giving up. I'm trusting in God's plan now and that his plan in the future is for us to be with each other. Friends, when we laze around, when we fatten ourselves up with all the things this world has to offer, when we are comfortable, we, we almost automatically ignore our prayer life. But it's not just because of all the distractions of life. It's because our lack of understanding of the will of the Lord and our need for Him. You know, kind of sounds circular to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you want a prayer life, you have to pray for the prayer life that you want. You have to pray that God would give you an understanding, and a heart that trusts in Him, that depends on Him, and that casts away all of the other things we're depending on. You must abdicate the throne. We pray continually. We pray in the will of the Lord. Of God, uh, in the will of the Lord. Another, uh, another aspect of this, prayer is humbling. It's humbling. It's in the will of the Lord. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is focused on mutual blessing. It's focused on mutual blessing. I've lived much of my life thinking these two things. That prayers answered in my favor were God's blessing only for me. And my prayers for others that were answered, that was kind of my gift to them. Like something was answered and I'm like, oh, I, I prayed for you on that. I prayed for you on that. I mean, so... You can thank me if you want to, or now, later, whatever. That my prayers answered for me were God's gift directly to me and only to me, and that when I prayed for others, that, that I was practically just gifting them whatever God had gifted them. Now, while the, sentiment, while the sentiment itself is not horrible, the motive is wrong. The answered prayers in my life that I receive, they don't just bless me, friends. They don't just bless me. And if you think that, it's probably, here's probably the reason why. It's probably because you don't live in biblical community. Because when you live in biblical community, and the people around you are praying all for the same things, and they are glorifying God together, 
you can't help but understand that an answered prayer for you is an answered prayer for me. That when God does something for you, He's doing something for me. When you isolate yourself, when you live by yourself, when you withdraw yourself, you tend to look at answered prayers as just something for yourself. Think about how many times you've lifted someone up and seen the prayers answered. How does that make you feel? You're like, oh, good job, God. Or like, well, I'm happy for you. No, no, typically you are overwhelmed with joy. As if God had answered that prayer specifically for you. Paul says, I long for my prayers to be answered so that we can both benefit. Because when my, this prayer is answered, we will both benefit. Not only in knowing that the prayer was answered, but we will be together. We will see each other. And our faiths will help each other grow, which is another sermon altogether, friends. I'm not even going to focus on that in this series. But you need to hear this. If you are around other Christians and your faiths are not lifting each other up, then you are doing it all wrong. (coughs) Side sermon number 10 for today. Paul says, I long for my prayers to be answered so that we can be with each other so that we can mutually benefit from the answer to our prayers. Answered prayers are mutually beneficial when we are, when we are in biblical Christian community because they cause us to celebrate whether or not the answers are positive or whatever. And they cause us to support each other if the answers don't exactly go our way. And to realize that either way, blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe this to be true, friends. Christianity is not a solo effort. And we are not one-men armies. Our Christian life is a mutual effort for the glory of Christ. This is why, as I've said it before, you cannot walk in faith and walk away from the church of God. You cannot walk in faith and walk away from a body of believers who are meeting together as the church of God. Godly prayer is mutually beneficial to the church. And it is evidence of a combined effort for the work of Christ. Godly prayer is this. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is powerful. It's powerful. This type of prayer is powerful, but really in more than one way. The first way is this. Paul was remembering them always. He was lifting them up, and that spiritual power was the power they needed to maintain their growth. And guess what? The fame of their gospel-centeredness had reached the rest of the Christian world. Prayer is powerful. To this point, Paul and Peter weren't there to be with them. Now, here's the type of person I am. I'm the type of person that thinks, I'm serious. And I realized this yesterday. I realize it more all the time. I've realized it before. I'm the type of person that thinks if I'm involved in something, that I need to be there, that I need to have my hand on it in order for it to be successful. Right? Some of you might relate with that. In my mind, uh, Ellie played her first softball tournament yesterday, and I had to run to the car for a few different things. And I was working on my sermon in, in between games and rain delays, and I thought, I need to be out there because she needs me out there. But guess what we find, friends? Prayer is powerful because Paul had yet to be with these people. 
He said he wanted to. He, he had yet to be with these people. Peter had yet to be with these people. The church at Rome had no apostolic origin, and yet their fame was known to other Christians throughout the world. Because although they were left without an apostle, they were not left without Jesus. And the apostles and the church and the people of God had prayed for them. And through that prayer and through the power of the Spirit of God, they were effectively serving the gospel of God. Friends, prayer is powerful. Vintage church doesn't need me. Vintage church doesn't need me. Vintage church needs a body of believers that pray. Vintage Church needs a body of believers that lift each other up instead of tear each other down. That speak positive words to each other and positive words to the Lord instead of always criticizing or instead of always focusing on the negative. Or, or not always, but typically or whatever, if that may be you. You don't need me. You don't need Blake. You don't need the leadership. You need people in our church who are committed to prayer and committed to service in the gospel. Their fame had been known throughout the world without the direct help of the Apostle Paul, but he was still there helping because his prayers had been lifted up for them. Friends, the Lord doesn't need us to accomplish his mission. He isn't waiting for us to respond. He responds in power through his will and purposes. Prayer is powerful as the godly person prays in the will of God and he himself is shown to be powerless. This isn't some hypothetical power of unanswered prayer that is meant to keep us praying. Because Paul's prayers were eventually answered, right? We know that later he actually makes it to Rome. His prayers were answered. They were encouraging each other. They were, he was encouraged by them. <clears throat> it wasn't some hypothetical unanswered prayer that was going to happen. Paul's prayers were answered. Friends, something also must be said that I think is even more important than the power of answered prayer. This prayer that serves in the spirit of the gospel is powerful because it comes from deep within. It's not something that we fabricate it doesn't come out of obligation or guilt or persuasion. This prayer comes from a place where the longing of our hearts and our inability meet. Prayer is powerful because it is an answer or it is the, it is the voice of our groanings. It comes from a place where the desire for God and our lack of power or our lack of uh, ability to see God in the physical meet. Prayer empowers the most powerless Christian to walk not by what they don't have, but what they have through Christ Jesus. This type of prayer is driven by our inability and our desire to meet the sovereign God in power. To put it simply, the know-it-all, the self-sufficient, the sneaky person, the liar, the person living in, living in denial, the doubter will never have a powerful prayer life unless they surrender those things that hinder them unto the Lord. You want to know why? Because powerful prayer is driven by a search for answers. It is driven by a search for help. It is driven by a search for truth. It is driven by a search for the power of God. 
And people living in denial, people who think they're self-sufficient, people who sneak around, people who lie, people who doubt, will never have those things because they never search for them. Prayer is powerful. That's the last one. Prayer in the spirit of the gospel is transformational. This is incredibly important. Prayer is transformational. James 4.2 says, You have not because you ask not. God expects us to ask huge things in our prayers. He wants us to trust Him in small things and in big things. And we know that the prayers of a righteous person are effective. But we must ask ourselves this question. Does my prayer life do more to affect the results of that which I am praying? Or does my prayer life do more to change my heart? Hear this. I would contend to you that prayer has its effect on both. But I would contend more strongly that prayer does more to change a believer than the believer's prayer does to change to get desired results. Prayer gets us to a point where we are ready for God's will. Prayer gets us to a point where we can trust God no matter the circumstances. Prayer causes us to pray these sweet words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer changes us to continually be the type of person through whom God can accomplish his will. Prayer is transformational, friends, because prayer changes our hearts so that we pray Not my will, but yours. This is the fault of the prosperity gospel. Not just that they, not just that it's complete heresy. Not just that. But also this. That every prayer, not every prayer. If it's done in the way of the prosperity preacher, the prayers of the person that prays. All say this, my will first and your will maybe. But only if they match up to be what I want it to be. The prayers of a righteous person say not my will but yours. You don't get there overnight. Those aren't your first prayers. Prayer is transformational. It puts you and forms you into the person that you need to be. The person who prays in the will of the Lord. I want to I couple this one together and then we're done. Okay? This is the second point for today, by the way. I want to couple this together and we're done. Serving in the spirit of the gospel serves in a spirit of action. A spirit of action. Something that must be coupled with our emphasis on prayer is this. Fervent prayer is not inaction. A prayer life that is gospel-centered does not mean inaction. But only praying is inaction. Did you catch that? Fervent prayer is not inaction. But only prayer is inaction. We are not being inactive when we are praying because... Prayer is an obedient action step in following the Lord. Honestly, if you follow people who pray and who have a prayer life that you want to model your, model your life after, prayer is the first action step in following the Lord. 
Prayer is God-honoring, it is specific, and it is effective action. But we must also understand this. Only praying often is inaction. There are definitely people in this world who have the gift when it comes to prayer. It comes more naturally to them, or maybe to you or to me. You hear about them praying for hours, and, and some of you are like, well, that would, that would never be me. I, I, I could never do that. And at a traditional church, like, who are the prayer warriors? Like, it's the people who can't do anything else, right? Those are the prayer warriors, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to be... I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Most of the prayer warriors at a traditional church are older people who don't feel like they can do anything else. But I'm here to tell you, just as I would tell them, prayer without action is inaction. Prayer without action is inaction. If a, a, a person that is in a nursing home bed that feels like they can only pray can still do so much more. I've seen beautiful letters written. Phone call, I've heard of phone calls made. There are other things that you can do that other, and, and there's nobody in here that's in a nursing home bed at the moment. Although every time I wake up after a hard day of work, I feel like I should be there. <coughs> there are other things that we can do. And friends, if you feel unskilled, if you feel like you are not a person who has as much to offer as someone else that you see or know, be creative. Think of something that no one else around you is doing and take action. Because it's not always this way because sometimes God just calls us to watch and pray. But for the vast majority of the time, prayer without action is inaction, just as studying the Lord without prayer is often inaction. Sometimes prayer is all we can do. But Paul sets us an example here. <clears throat> he was shut down multiple times by the Lord. No, you're not going. No, you're not going. No, you're not going. But he still pursued them, and he still wanted to be with them. How often, friends, do your prayers go unanswered and it just shuts you down completely? How often do your prayers go unanswered and you say, well, if God's not going to answer this, I'll just wait till He does something else because I'm not moving. It would be funny if it weren't so sad because when our prayers get shut down, especially those deep ones, especially those ones of longing, we often shut down. Because we say to ourselves, if I can't have this, and this was the thing that I most desired, then I don't want anything. And we cry like a little babe. One of the, the thing that Paul desired most at that point in his life was to be with those people at Rome, and he was shut down multiple times. But instead of inaction, what did Paul do? Oh, Paul just, got, Paul just continues on his third missionary journey. He just continues to serve the people at Corinth. The reason we don't follow denial in our prayers with action is because we have, it goes back to what I said at the beginning, we have convinced ourselves that we deserve everything that God gives us and more.
Friends, I, I am truly convinced if we were convinced that we deserved nothing but the wrath of God and hell, and it is by grace, if we were convinced of the words of God, that it was by grace we were saved through faith, that God commended His love for us, and even that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, if we were convinced that we deserve the wrath of God, and that, all, that, that we get the blessings of God, not because we deserved it or earned it, if we were convinced of that, then we wouldn't be so pouty when our prayers go answered in a way that was against the way we thought they should go answered. <clears throat> Paul still pursued the Lord. He still pursued service and action. Is this how you model your life? Is this how action is shown in your life when things don't go exactly your way, when prayers aren't answered? The way you thought. Paul prays. He prays in the will of God. Even when his desires do not meet God's will. He continues to pray. He continues in action. His action was not focused on himself. But it was focused on others. One theologian said this of prayer and action. Prayer and labor ought to go together. To pray without laboring is to mock God. To labor without prayer is to rob God of His glory. Until these are conjoined, the gospel will not be extensively successful. I think you need to hear that because I'm not smart enough to formulate that for you. So I'm going to let somebody else do it. Prayer and labor ought to go together. To pray without laboring is to mock God. To labor without prayer is to rob God of His glory. Until these are conjoined, the gospel will not be extensively successful. So we must ask ourselves, is the gospel being extensively successful in my life? Is the gospel being extensively successful in my life? Until our lives are modeled in the way Paul prayed in this spirit of prayer, until our lives are modeled by prayerful action, the gospel will not be extensively successful in our lives. But friends, there's hope. Because as many times as you've, pray, uh, as many times as you've failed to be a prayer warrior, as many times as you've pray, uh, failed to pray, be prayerful in a spirit of action, there is a God who has been successful in developing prayer warriors and people of action for the eons. For countless years, for millions upon millions upon millions of people. And to think that he won't do it with you is, is setting or is cutting God off, is setting him short. He can do it in you, he will do it in you. You've got to leave your throne, you've got to trust in him, and you've just got to pursue it. Pray with me. God, you're so good, and you're so holy, and so often we don't understand you because we are finite and we are not holy. So often we don't understand you because we don't understand what it's like to be God. <coughs> Lord, would you help us to the best of our abilities to understand you? Would you help us to be able to see from the best of our ability to see things through your eyes? 
so that we could be more thoughtful in prayer. We can be more diligent in action. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We pray you. We thank you for this day. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.